Anybody else thankful we showed up to worship a God that could defeat death today? Praise God. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Thank you so much for being here to celebrate Easter with us. Seriously, every single one of you. There's still people coming in. Thanks for, I don't even know where we're getting chairs at from this point. Uh, but thank you. We'll squeeze you in here. Uh, if you have some seats and you can squeeze in right now, that would be fantastic. Still several people coming in. But I do want to say thank you to each and every one of you in this room. We know there are several new people with us today that have joined us because of an invitation. You were extended an invitation. And so I just want to take a moment and say thank you for accepting that invitation. We know it's not easy to step into a new place and space like this for the first time. So thank you for accepting that invitation. I would say to a great extent, the majority of people that now call Trace Church home once were extended an invitation as well. And ultimately with time, they learned that this was the kind of church and place where they could belong. It's our hope and prayer that many of you would come to that conclusion as well. Now, I need to do something really quick, and what I need to do is actually specifically for people that were with us last week. And so if you weren't with us last week, then I'm just going to give you an opportunity to eavesdrop on this conversation for a couple minutes. But I do need to talk to people that were with us last week. Last week, we looked at this statement together right here, that until you're ready to reveal truth, you won't be ready to receive God's grace. And out of that sentiment, what we decided to do is to air some dirty laundry, we decided to practice the ongoing ethics of confession and repentance, and so all of us wrote down something on a three-by-five piece of paper, and we just got some of that crap that's been in us maybe for too long. We got some of that stuff out of us, and we confessed, and we got some of that junk out of our lives. And I want to let you know that this past Monday as a staff, we read every single one of those confessions out loud, hundreds of them. And on one hand, I would tell and by the way, we prayed over all of them. On one hand, I would tell you that I was incredibly proud and honored for the courage that so many of you had to show to be able to reveal some of the things that you revealed. Truly, I was. But on the other hand, I would tell you I was heartbroken by the, by the pain that so many of you have gone through, by the pain that so many of you are going through, by the struggles that are so real in your life that are still your reality to this day. And I wanted to let you know, and maybe for those of you that don't know me at all, maybe this will give you just a little bit of insight into who, who I am. I decided to change my entire sermon schedule coming up, not entirely, but to a great extent. Our preaching schedule, our sermon series, I'm changing them because, listen to me, I want to speak to your struggle. I want to speak to actually what you're going through, not just what I think may, you know, be good. And so we changed our sermon schedule coming up, and again, if you don't know me, I didn't get into this for hype. I didn't get into this for hype. I got into this to help, like truly try to help you. And the best way that I can help you is to continue to point to hope no matter where you've been and no matter what you have done. And so I'm just gonna take a moment now and I wanna pray over that specifically before we dive into my sermon. So just pray with me. God, thank you for making that message clear that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, if we'll just turn around, we won't find the face of a heavenly father who is full of condemnation will actually find a face of compassion. Still blows our mind when we think about it. And God, I, I don't know exactly what every single person in this room is specifically struggling with, but I pray that today as we're celebrating the resurrection power of Jesus, that we're reminded that you've given us that power and that we can actually take a step of whatever it is that we've been stuck in for maybe way too long. And so Father, we embrace that today. We invite that today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, I know I started on a little bit of a heavy note, so I'm gonna make a turn really quick here and lighten it up for us. How many of you would say that you're huggers? Let me just see. How many of you are huggers? Yeah, Emily and I are huggers. My wife and I are huge huggers. We come from Kentucky and we call that the South, even though Kentucky's not really the South. But any other Southerners? Any Southerners in the room? Good old Southern hospitality. And you know what Southern hospitality means, right? It means that we'll hug your neck and then talk about you behind your back. That's the Southern <laughs> hospitality. Now, how many of you have noticed that there are different types of hugs? You've noticed this, right? And so to dem demonstrate just a handful, I'm gonna have my wife come up and join us. Give it up for Emily. Thank you, sweetheart. So many of you know uh, a couple of these hugs at least. And so the first one is the double bro pat. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You come in, double pat, bring it back. You don't need anything else. We're good, we're good. Uh, and then you, then you have, you have the leaner, right? You have the lean, just come in. Got the leaner. Has anybody ever tried to hug a hug blocker? So a hug blocker, somebody's coming in. It's like, whoa, hey, 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 how you doing? Yeah, the hug blocker, like we don't do hugs, right? And then you have the one that Christians have put a patent on. The side hug, like, oh yeah. We don't like side huggers, do we? No, we believe side huggers come from Satan. That's another sermon <laughs> from, for another day. <laughs> and then on a serious note, you have what I would call an embrace. And an embrace may be you haven't seen somebody for a long time. Maybe there's been a, a tragedy. Maybe if you can imagine somebody coming home from war and it's a mother, it's a father, it's a sister, it's a brother, it's a son, it's a daughter. And now you know they're home. Now you know they're going to be safe and it's just an embrace. To, you just wanna, just wanna feel them. Babe, stop nibbling on my ear. It's Easter. This is not the time or place. For, uh, hey, give it up for Emily real quick. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Today, we're actually concluding a series called Mantras. And here at Trace, we have four mantras that we've been going through and looking at more deeply. And they read this way, that we elevate truth and grace, that we extend hope when life hurts, that we empower everyone to share the gospel, and we embrace we embrace those far from God. And this is the one that I want to talk about today. And some of you may be thinking, Aaron, did you forget that it's Easter? Absolutely not. By the time that we're done today, I think all of you will see how this word specifically is all about the Easter message. In Luke's gospel, we find a parable that Jesus once told. Uh, it's often referred to his, as his most popular parable. You probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. I actually think it could be labeled the parable of the prodigal God. And the reason why Jesus actually gives us this parable is because he's trying to make a point to a specific audience. And you need to know this, and we're going to look at it like the audience is really key to understanding the point that Jesus wants to make. In other words, the audience amplifies the parable. And we get a very clear understanding of who's in the audience in Luke chapter 15, verse one. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners, so the IRS and other, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but to give you a quick background, because tax collectors did kind of fall into a category all of their own. Uh, think of it this way, as a Jewish person, if your neighbor, your brother, your cousin, uh, your friend signed up as another Jewish man, signed up to actually take money from you and give it to the Roman Empire, who are the, the very people that are causing you the most devastation in life. And by devastation, I'm talking about they were coming in and they were raping their wives, 
They were raping their daughters. And so here you have somebody taking money from you and giving it to this empire that is causing you a life of hell here on earth. That'll give you a little bit of an idea. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. It is because of this specific audience that Jesus decides to tell the parable of the prodigal son. And his motivation in telling this parable is both to challenge the religious leaders who like to throw out labels, who like to point out people's mistakes and failures instead of offer mercy and forgiveness, but he also wants the sinners in the audience, the misfits, the people who don't feel like they're worthy. He wants to give them a different picture of the face of their heavenly father because it's not a face of condemnation. It's a face of compassion. Now, before Jesus gets to the parable of the prodigal son, he's going to tell two short parables. And one is about a woman who has a coin collection and she loses one of those coins. And she's looking everywhere for this coin. Anybody ever like flip their house upside down when you lose something? I'm one of those guys. And so she's flipping the house upside down, trying to find the coin. Finally, she finds her lost coin. And it says that she invites her friends to come over and throws a party which is kind of interesting because you probably spent more money throwing the party than the value of the coin itself. And so what's the point? The point of the parable is this idea of extravagant love. Listen to me, extravagant love with a reckless pursuit of what was lost. He also tells a parable of a lost sheep and he mentions a farmer. He says, there was a farmer who had a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off. And so what he does is he leaves the 99 that were still safe to go after the one sheep that was lost. And you have to kind of probably put yourself in the shoes of those that were in the audience at the time, because they're probably thinking, why in the world would you leave the 99 and potentially put them in danger to go after this one dumb sheep that wandered away? Like, let, let that sheep go and reap the consequences of its actions. But that's not what happens. The farmer actually leaves the 99 and he goes and finds the one. And when he actually finds it, he brings it home. And it says that he throws a party. Jesus says that this is how it is in the kingdom of heaven. It celebrates more for one person who turns to Jesus, to turns to God for salvation, than 99 people who have already made that decision. Which means, listen, if you're here today and you've never given Jesus your life, you've never made him the leader and Lord of your life, He's more concerned with you than he is for the rest of us who have already made that decision. And some people might say, well, that doesn't sound fair. And the people that often would share that kind of sentiment are probably people that have gotten caught up too much in religious legalism over the years instead of a relationship with a good father. This would have been the sentiment that the religious leaders in the audience would have had. They would have thought to themselves, God wouldn't prioritize someone far from him over those of us that are already close to him. But this is the very point that Jesus is trying to make. And so he continues by telling the parable of the prodigal son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. 
A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Now, you gotta keep in mind that when Jesus is telling this story, it's a very patriarchal-driven society, and so when this younger son comes and asks for his inheritance early, he is making a very strong statement. Dad, you're dead to me. I disown you. I want what you have, but I don't want you. And so he takes his inheritance early, goes to Vegas and lives his life and does his thing because I mean, this is how you really enjoy life, right? Anybody else ever been there? Not to Vegas necessarily, but have you ever found yourself chasing something and pursuing a way of life that you thought was going to bring you, bring you more pleasure, but ultimately it just brought you more pain? I have. I would tell you there was a good chunk of my younger life where I did whatever I wanted. You can call it being wayward, you can call it wild living, the Bible calls it willful sin. We like to call it for what it is around here, I hope that's okay. Friends, God doesn't label and define sin for us because he wants us to live a life full of shame and blame. No, he's giving us boundaries because he's calling us to something better. And oftentimes it does take, unfortunately, brokenness. It does take what others have referred to as the bottom before we will finally open our eyes and actually understand and see that that is true, that that's the reality, that God does have something better. This is exactly what this wayward son, this prodigal son does. You see, he runs out of money and he runs out of motivation and he hits his bottom when he starts to see the pig scraps that they're eating and they, those actually start to become appetizing to him. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy. Anybody feel that today? And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So he's kind of going through this rehearsed speech. Please just take me on as a hired servant. Again, he's just kind of practicing this in his head because he is fully expecting his father to look at him with a face of condemnation. He's fully expecting his father to potentially even laugh at him. It's like, are you kidding me? Like now you're gonna come home? You think you can just come home and right all of those wrongs? Are you serious? This is what the son is expecting. But nonetheless, he returned home to his father. Some of you have been going after something. You've been pursuing something. You've been chasing something and you've been turning your back on your father in heaven and you thought by pursuing this or chasing this that it was actually going to give you something, but the longer that you've had to assess what's really happening, you, you can see that it's actually taking something from you. And so you get to this place in life, maybe you would even call it a darker place. And so I just wanna ask you a question today. What's keeping you from turning around? Is it your pride? Is it shame? Is it regret? Is it how many failures are following you? Is it thinking to yourself that you're not worthy enough, that you're not strong enough, that you're not good enough? Because I can assure you that this prodigal son, he felt all of that. But ultimately he turns around and he starts to head back home towards the father. And please don't miss the next verse. While he was still a long way off, 
while he was still a long way off, the father sees him coming. Do you know what that means? It means that the father never stopped waiting. The father never stopped watching for his son to return back home. And he's fully expecting his dad to come out and probably slap him in the face, which was not uncommon for the time. He's fully expecting his father to laugh at him. You think you can come home now? But he experiences something entirely different. Filled with love, not laughter. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced, everybody say embraced. He embraced him and he kissed him. This was no side hug. There was no blocking going on. This was no double bro pat. This was a full on embrace. And as the son is trying to go through his rehearsed speech, the father just speaks over him and says, guys, go get a ring. My son is back. Go get a robe. My son is back. Go, go get the fattened calf. We're having steak tonight. We're going to throw a party because my son, who was dead, has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Extravagant love with a reckless pursuit of what was lost. I cannot help but think of 1 John chapter three. Oh, to see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God even in our disobedience, that we would be called children of God even in our waywardness, that we would be called children of God even in our wild living. If we will just turn and come home to the Father, you will not find a face of condemnation. You will find a face of grace. But I can assure you the son was fully expecting condemnation, but what did he get? He got celebration. And don't miss the timing of all of it because the timing is so incredibly important. It was immediate. The party was immediate, which means, listen, there was no penance to be paid. There was no probationary period. There was no punishment because Jesus already took it. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus is not just about him going from death to life. It's about you. It's about giving you the opportunity to return home to the Father and go from death to eternal life. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, no matter what you have done and no matter where you have been, if you will just turn around, all of it will be forgiven. All of it will be forgiven. I've done this long enough to know that right now, several of you are probably feeling God do something inside of you. You might be fighting it. You're feeling the Holy Spirit stir something up inside of you and you feel like God is probably even calling you to make a step and do something today to make a decision and you're fighting it and you're fighting it. I hope you lose that fight today. I'm so thankful that there was a day in my life where I finally lost that fight. Anybody else? Amen. I pray you lose that fight today and you're probably fighting it for one of two reasons. You're either saying not me or not now. You're saying not me because of what you have done and you're saying not now because you didn't expect this to happen today and you still wanna do stuff in your own timing. How is that working for you? Give it up. Turn around and you will find not a face of condemnation but a face of grace. When I began today, I'll let you know that we did those confessions together last week as a church. And having heard every single one of those confessions, I can tell you that they were full of things like struggle, 
and regret. They included things like abuse and addiction. There was a lot of pain and a lot of failure, but all of them, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, can be forgiven. You just have to turn to the Father. You just have to turn to the Father. If you will turn around and come home, you will not find a face of, con of condemnation. You will find a face of grace. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and join me up here on stage. And we put something together today and I wanna give you a heads up that what we've done is we've taken some of the confessions that were written down last week and I told the church that we were gonna do this. And so you're going to hear a song that I believe is incredibly powerful and may be God's way of speaking to you specifically right now. So I want you to pay attention to the lyrics, but you're also gonna see some word, word for word confessions that were submitted last week. And I pray that this moment, if it has to, breaks you. Because sometimes it takes brokenness to finally understand that we need to turn and come home to the Father. So God, right now, I pray that you would move powerfully in and through this church. Father, I pray that whatever it is that someone is hanging on to, that's keeping them from turning to you, that you would just break it, just break it. Father, whatever it is that is allowed someone to believe that they're not worthy enough. And we know that's the voice of the enemy. That's his greatest scheme is to convince us that we can't win. And honestly, we can't win, but Jesus won when he walked out of a grave. And so when we trust in him, we become victorious. God, I pray that you would use this moment right now, right here, to break whatever strongholds need to be broken so that people can just turn and find the face of grace. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.